Good morning. Yeah, Josh, Josh isn't up here, but kids, you are dismissed to join uh, Miss Shelley in the back. Uh, I thought about this too later. I would have uh, had this where Stephen could share it because is everybody tired this morning? Like, I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired. Maybe it's because we've been like on the road and pretty much continuously the last several days and just, I don't know, there's Christmas. To me, to Christmas, I enjoy it, but it's very tiring and draining. I took this picture of my daughter last night when we got home. Like I said, I wish I had it up there, but maybe y'all can kind of see. This was when we got home from Sheridan last night. My, my daughter was, I think, still kind of how I feel this morning, um, just like... When my alarm clock went off this morning, I'm like, really? It's, really, it's time to get up? But uh, I said, I, I love Christmas, but it can be very, very, very draining. I think I get, to, I get to a point every year where it's like, man, it's great, but I'm, I'm ready for that last Christmas. We've got one more Christmas tonight, and I'm, I'm at that point. I'm like, I'm ready, for, I'm ready for it to be, I'm ready to move on to the next uh, Thing, but uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 um, today, uh, and I hope everybody's had a good, uh, good Christmas. And now you can kind of take a deep breath from uh, all the all the hustle and the bustle, which I think I got to experience at a whole new level this year. Building bikes for Walmart, um, bike, Walmart goes through a lot of bicycles between uh, about the second week of November and uh, uh, Christmas. Um, Matter of fact, I put in two 15-hour days this week. So, But uh, as I was reading this text this week, I, I kind of got to thinking about all the things that are, have, have been going on culturally in our country, uh, around the world. Um, and I read this this week, and of course, Josh gave an incredible illustration of what uh, Paul uh, faced when he went to Athens and on his second missionary journey, Paul is moving from strategic city to strategic city for the purpose of advancing the gospel and the kingdom of God. And, and this week, he stumbles into uh, to Corinth, which is, uh, from the text, might be probably the toughest um, city that Paul uh, ministered in when, for the sake of the gospel. And we, we don't really get... We don't really know what the cause of what we're going to read this morning is, but we do know that Corinth is a uh, very uh, culturally diverse city. It's a city of commerce. Uh, it's it's the north and south route is a is a land route for commerce. The east and west is a it's a port city for the sea. Um, so there's there's a lot of people coming in and out of uh, Corinth. Uh, all of the time. Uh, and then there's also, uh, we've all probably heard it, of the goddess of Aphrodite. I don't, I don't know that I pronounced that right, but uh, it's, it's the goddess of love. And, and at the, the center part of uh, the city center, on top of a massive hill, we've got a picture of the temple of Aphrodite. So when you would come to Corinth, this... Uh, and this is just remnants of the structure that is, remains today. Um, but this massive 
religious structure impressive. I, I don't know about you, but to me, even in its ruins today, is still a pretty uh, uh, magnificent piece of uh, architecture and history. Um, so again, Paul comes to a city and is faced with a, with a city that culturally is mesmerized by this goddess of love. Uh, and just a little bit of uh, Diving into Corinth, it is a flourishing city of political power, commerce, and sexual immorality. Probably, if you really look back upon the history of Corinth, the sexual immorality is probably one of the prominent things uh, with the city of Corinth, especially looking, if you were to read 1 Corinthians, uh, you see that Paul focuses a lot on the sexual promiscuity that is taking place uh, in the city, because of the the goddess Aphrodite, the the city's full and Rome, uh, prostitutes roam the city uh, all hours of the day. So I mean, there was a, an influence there. Um, it was another Roman colony. Uh, matter of fact, because of the sexual immorality, there became this popular phrase: "Live like a Corinthian." Um, it, uh, we find that in Paul's letters to uh, both of his letters to the church at Corinth that he is, uh, they face challenges to remain faithful um, to the cause of the gospel, largely probably because of the cultural diversity and the influence that they faced on a uh, regular basis. Um, it was known as a city, an extremely prideful uh, city, an arrogant uh, city. And, and we'll see in our text today that most of us probably look at, when we look at biblical characters and we look at people in the New Testament, when there's like Jesus and then we think of, right below Jesus, we think of Paul, right? And I, 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 a lot of people probably look at Paul and think, man, I could, he's like that superhero Christian, he done all of these incredible things, but what we're going to find in the text today is that, quite honestly, Paul was just a dude like us. It's just a common, common guy that God had called to an incredible, incredible purpose. Um, I read, I read this week, this this week by Timothy Keller, and he was kind of comparing the cities that Paul uh, approached in his uh, second missionary journey. Uh, we heard about Athens last week. Timothy Keller compared it to Boston and it being an intellectual center. He compared Corinth as a commercial center, compared it to New York City, uh, which uh, the World Trade Center, and it, that's the, the whole ideal behind that is that's where the world comes to, to trade. Um, Ephesus, which Paul does get to, uh, Later in Acts chapter 18, we're not really going to focus a lot on Ephesus. We're going to focus more on characters of this text today. But it's Ephesus was a place of pop culture and the the occult. Um, he compared Timothy Keller compared it to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I think most of us know that most things in our country start out west and they eventually kind of work their way east. Uh, I guess it's because of Hollywood and all of that. Most of the cultural influences slowly move themselves. 
I think it's why a lot of times here in the southeast we're like 20, 30 years behind everybody because it takes that long for it to really get here. Um, and then he compared where Paul will eventually end up in his missionary journeys, and he compares Rome to the political center of Washington, D.C., uh, which, honestly, all of these cities encompass all of that, but obviously each city has its strong its strong points. And uh, Corinth is one of those, probably has more of a rant, more of each in it because of the diversity of everybody that's coming in and out of the city for commerce. Um, and, I, and I got to thinking about that, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Race. One last time to look at Josh's artwork. It's pretty good. Um, but uh, I've been thinking because there's been a popular buzzword in our culture, especially that's kind of impacted the church over the last several years. And I, th- I think I see in our text this morning and reading Corinthians and some of what Paul um, was teaching the church at Corinth, but something I have, I don't know, maybe even experienced in my own life a little bit is uh, the idea of deconstruction. Uh, I, from a distance, I've watched this. There's like this whole movement, hashtag exvangelical in our country, people that have, basically there's this big movement away from being a, uh, part of the evangelical movement, which is pretty much sums up what most people consider Christians. Uh, in America, and even some pretty prominent leaders, because of the impacts of culture and influence, and probably some of their own issues that they're dealing with in life, have come to the point that they've deconstructed completely away from the faith. Um, and, and one thing we see in this text this morning is Paul has a moment of weakness. I don't know that you would necessarily say that Paul was deconstructing but I think there is a cycle in all of our lives where there's this constant deconstruction and reconstruction of our lives I have I don't necessarily call it consider it deconstruction but I've walked through the last few years of my life um, where a lot of what I grew up believing about scripture and what I grew up believing about church has kind of been torn torn down uh I had to learn, I'm, I'm still learning new things, new approaches to ministry, new things about Jesus and how to follow Jesus. Uh, uh, and one of those things I'm going to share with you has been, a, has been an eye-opener for, for me this over the last couple of years. But uh, I don't think, for, for a while I thought this was a, a really a bad word. And maybe it's because of my... Uh, how I grew up in church and how the approach I grew up to scripture. And I, I, and I think this can become a very bad thing, especially because I think one popular preacher that has since denounced his faith, um, I, I was listening to a podcast and it was, I thought the question, the person that was interviewing the question they asked, because this guy rose to celebrity status as a pastor in our country 
um, because of a book that he wrote. Um, and then through the process, he uh, decided that uh, he didn't believe what he wrote then, so it started his deconstruction process to the point that now he doesn't even, he, uh, he doesn't believe uh, the gospel. Um, but the guy asked him, um, because of his rise to celebrity status as a pastor and kind of the, some of the circumstances around his deconstruction, I thought the question was brilliant. Is are you, do, you, do you think that your deconstruction could potentially be just another grab for being a celebrity? Because the guy, if you, if you, the same thing that happened in his growth as a celebrity pastor is happening in his supposedly deconstruction of his faith. Is he's all of the sudden gaining this celebrity status that had probably kind of waned over his years of his pastor because he hadn't wrote any new books or anything like that. Now is that celebrity status is coming back, and I I thought the question was pretty brilliant. Um, then, I, then I got to reading this text, and there's, there's a couple of things that happen. Uh, and let's read Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3 first, because uh, I want to introduce the kind of the people we're going to be focusing on this morning. It says in Acts 18, 1, Then Paul left Athens... And went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. So Paul comes to Corinth, he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla, and I want to focus on them because. There wasn't necessarily a situation of deconstruction, but I think there. I think we can learn something later on in the past of Acts 18 from Priscilla and Aquila. Something that, as a church, how we approach people and how we share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Uh, because let's be honest, I I, I have learned uh, in my time of following Jesus, it's not always easy, and I am not always right. Uh, and sometimes we need, we need, we need this in our life. We need deconstruction. We need our beliefs about Scripture to be reconstructed. You could back up to the Acts 17. There's a short passage of Scripture about a, pe a group of people called the Bereans, where Paul preached the Scripture, and it simply says that after Paul had proclaimed the message, the Bereans. After they had heard the message, they searched the scripture to confirm that everything Paul was saying was correct, which I think is brilliant. We should, we, we should, I, for me, I've come to learn that I should, that's the best way to approach scripture is that, hey, let scripture teach and help me grow instead of reading my situation into scripture and making scripture fit my fit my life because it's very easy and I don't think it's intentional for us to because of our situation when we read scripture to read scripture according to our situation instead of interpreting scripture and applying scripture to our 
situation. So I think it's a process that we go through on a regular basis, and Aquila and Priscilla will play a very important part uh, in that. And some things kind of learned from the text about Aquila and Priscilla is obviously, number one, they're tent makers. Um, they, they work as a team. We probably know people nowadays that we would refer to as, I, I, we have people in our lives that I think people look at as power couples. I, and when I think of Aquila and Priscilla, to me, when you look at them in text, that's what Aquila and Priscilla are. They're a power couple. They're like, they're probably two of my favorite people in the entirety of scripture. They're not, they're not widely known. You have to, and they just show up in small parts of scripture, but their influence was incredible. Um, matter of fact, they probably played a major part behind the scene in Paul's life of what the what happened in this movement that went global. Um, they were they were mobile. They Priscilla and Aquila never li- really lived anywhere specifically for a long point of time. Most of us will probably live right here in this area most of our lives. Mo- most people settle somewhere, and that's where they live. They work, they do life, they go to church, they do what they do, they're involved in their community. There are occasional people that will go around different places around the world and they'll have influence everywhere they go. And that was kind of what who Priscilla and Aquila uh, were. They they were people that were mobile, they were people of influence, they were they were compassionate, they were hospitable, they were disciple makers. Um and we'll learn as we look at text this morning, they were church planners. Matter of fact, let's first Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen says this about Aquila. Actually, I think I've got that down wrong. First Corinthians sixteen, nineteen. Uh, says this about Aquila and Priscilla. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. And then in Romans uh, 16, 34, it says this. sixteen three and 4, it says this. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So Aquila and Priscilla, wherever they were, um, they, they had established a church in their home. Uh, they did this in Ephesus. They did this... Uh, in Corinth, and they had a major influence on the people in in their city. That's did they do anything really significant? Were they were they like super pastors? No, they were just common, ordinary people that cared about people, and they met people where they were at, and they were bold enough at the same time, as we'll see in the end of this text, to hey, if someone needed corrected, they. They did it, but they did it in a hospitable and compassionate um, manner. And then, of course, we have Paul. Um, and just briefly here in Acts chapter 18, um, 
verse 9. Well, obviously, Paul, through his missionary journeys, is constantly being pressured uh, by the Jews as he's confronting them. And, and largely, the reason why the gospel that Paul is preaching is offensive to the Jews is why it deconstructs their tradition, the law. The, go- the law had become the gospel for the Jews. Uh, and we find here in Acts 18.9, it says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. And then it says, So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. We don't, we don't get a lot of details into the situation of what's going on with Paul, but for some reason, Paul is afraid. Paul is tired. Um, he's weak. And maybe even at the point of giving up. I, I, think, I think reading that text and that, those words from the Lord that were spoken to Paul, I think it's pretty safe to say Paul was probably at the end of his, the end of his rope. Um, probably all of us as believers have been there at some point. Um, where it's like, man, is it, is it really worth going anymore? Um, sometimes it may be, I, th- I think a lot of it had to do with the cultural influence of Corinth. Uh, probably, I mean, you, you think about Athens and what Paul faced in Athens, the, the, and then you think about Corinth, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and the sexual immorality of the city and the pressure that comes with all of that. Then again, you've got the continuous, uh, the Jews continuously following him and, and probably saying things similar to what was said to Christ uh, during his ministry. Um, and Paul's tired, uh, which... For me, being a pastor, I've reached moments at the end of my rope, and I probably never dealt with anything near what Paul dealt with. For me, just as an average believer over the last, and I say average believer because for me, there's a very big difference in the life I lived as a pastor for so many years and the life I have lived over the last three or four years as just just trying to be an ordinary person following Jesus and being around people um, and not necessarily pursuing that same type of ideal of what a pastor, I thought a pastor was for so many years. Um, and there's been like, to me, the last couple of years have been very tiring as culture has shifted in our world, the things that have the things that have happened. uh, And then not just that, it's not like there's a lot of extreme pressure on us as believers, especially right here in our part of the world where it's like, but but all of the change and all of the things that are going on to me have been somewhat exhausting. Um, And then you you take in situations like COVID where you're shut down for like, you for a few months and life's just not like it has always been. You got to be careful what you do, or you're being told you got to be careful what you do. Um, and then at the same time, you 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 carry that weight of 
this is how I feel about it, but at the same time, I know everybody I'm around doesn't feel that way, so you're like, it's like almost like walking on eggshells because you don't want to offend, offend someone. And then there's, last, over the last year, I've lost my grandma, lost my mom. Just to, just to me, it seems like just about as soon as I get to a space where everything feels good, it's like something happens and takes life back. And like, there's just this continuous cycle, and it seems to be more prevalent the last, last two years of my life, these cycles that I keep, keep going through. And, and at times I felt like I was at the end of my rope and just like, the easy, the easiest thing to do would just be to throw my hands up and surrender, or to let go of the rope. Um, but I, I can't ever let go of the rope. Um, and I and I and I feel like Paul is here in this moment. He's probably reached that. He's probably reaching the end of his rope. He's probably going through some things personally, thinking like, "Man, is this?" Is this worth it? How am I going to keep going? Um, are these people even listening? Uh, do they care? Um, and God says, don't be afraid. And, and, and I think something that is very easy for us to do in our culture today, especially as believers, is to be quiet. And I, and I think it's because we're afraid we're going to be offensive. Um, the gospel in itself is offensive, and and and, and we want to be we want we want to proclaim the good news. We don't want to be offensive because we ultimately want to be compassionate and hospitable, hospitable to people. And that in itself, I don't know about you, can be very very tiring. Um, but I don't think that's an excuse for us to just back up and be silent. I think we still have to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. But I, but I love what God says, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. And, and I think that last part is something that we always need to remember is no matter where we're at, if we're a follower of Jesus, no matter how tough it may be, we're here because there's still people that, as God says, for many in this Many people in this city belong to me. I, I, I still believe, even though we're in an extremely church culture, there's a lot of people in our city that need to hear Jesus. Some may even, I, I don't, at one point in time, I don't think there was ever anybody in our city that probably grew up not hearing about Jesus. And there probably still is not very many, but I think there's a lot of people in our city that are growing up that probably have never really heard the gospel the good news of Jesus. Jesus is associated with our, a lot, a lot of, in our culture is, Jesus is associated with church and tradition and in a lot of cases, I think some people 
get Jesus tied up in that and really miss the good news. Um, and God just tells Paul, said, man, don't, don't give up. Don't be quiet. There's people in the city that belong to me. And guess what? There's still people, because there's, there's a lot of people in our world that look at what's going on and be like, man, they're, they're giving up hope. It's like Jesus come back. And, and there's days, I promise you, there's days like, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But I think we're here because there's still people in this world that belong to, belong to Jesus. And, and, and I learned about this, and there will be a picture up on the screen um, a couple years ago, and I think you see it, especially when you look at Paul's letters to the Corinthians, but it's called the J-curve. And basically it boils down to, in our life, there are cycles. Uh, and the first J-curve is the Jesus J-curve where Jesus dies and Jesus rises again. Second one is we die. And then we rise. And quite honestly, life is our lives is really just a whole lot of jays. A constant cycle of dying and rising. And when you read what Paul teaches um, to the church in Corinth, I think you see this. And I think this is the heart of what Paul is preaching as he's going out his missionary journeys is the gospel is that we die, but if we believe in Jesus, we rise. There's this constant cycle of death and resurrection. And in our culture, it's very, easily, very easy to look at death as a bad thing. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that with death, there's resurrection. No matter what we're going through in life, when there's death, there's resurrection. There's something to look forward to. And then, of course, right down here at the bottom is when things probably get the hardest. It's when you're at the end of your rope. And it's in those moments where it's really easy for us to give up. It's real easy to throw in the towel, to lose hope, to lose joy, to lose peace. But with Jesus, because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, our lives are intended to be a mirror image of that and we die, we bur we're buried and we rise again and our life is this constant cycle where guess what, there's going to be death there's going to be seasons where it feels like we're buried under all of the things that are happening 
But on the other side of that is resurrection. And there's nothing better than those seasons of life when there's resurrection. I mean, I think we can probably all sit here and think about it. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, and that I, I, right now I'm in a season of death. There's probably somebody in here that's in a season where they feel like they're buried. And there's some of you that maybe today are like, man, I'm in that season of resurrection. Life could not be better. In this text, we see obviously that Paul's probably somewhere down here at the bottom. But I love what two passages of scripture in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, Paul said, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And Paul says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message... And my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul says, man, I I come to you weak. I come to you scared. I come to you tired. But I come to you only to proclaim Jesus. And the good thing about it is, is I think we go through these cycles because it allows us to relate to people. That we're all just, we're all just normal people. And we all face the same struggles, maybe in different ways. And the good news is, is that because of Jesus, even though we all go through these cycles of death, burial, and resurrection in our life, there's always There's always resurrection. There's always hope with Jesus. It's always there. Life's good. It's not always easy. But with Jesus, there's hope. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses eleven through eighteen. says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies so we will live in the face of death but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. 
Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And as I think about that and I think about what Paul went through, I think about Priscilla and Aquila. Because Priscilla and Aquila run into a situation at the end of Acts chapter 18. Where, I'll be honest with you, from my personal experience, I've seen situations like this turn awry. Somebody, and basically it boils down to, I'm not going to read the text, but it boils down to Priscilla and Aquila, uh, this man named Apollos, is, he's enthusiastically proclaiming the good news. But he has one small thing wrong. He's proclaiming the baptism of John instead of the baptism of Jesus. And they pull him aside for correction. Me, personally, I look at it and I'm like amazed because I've grown up in situations where this did not turn out pleasant. But what, how, I believe because of the message of the gospel, this message of death and resurrection, Aquila and Priscilla believe that. And they simply pulled alongside this man and they took him into their home. They loved him. They were compassionate towards him. They taught him. And he left and he bold, continued to bold, boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. He continued to boldly proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus. This hope that even in the midst of the trials and the things we face in life, though, there's, though we go through seasons of death, we go through seasons where we're overwhelmed, there's resurrection. There's hope. I think that's what we are as the church in our city. Whether it be someone like Apollos that maybe has erred a little bit in what they believe, we compassionately, because of the good news of Jesus, come alongside them and we walk through what the issue is. If it's somebody that maybe is radically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they look at the church and like it's, it's very offensive the good news is offensive to them because we can live and walk in this ideal of the death, burial, and resurrection experience it in our lives. It's good news. It frees us. See, in our culture, it's easy to adapt a gospel of performance, the law. We got to live up to these expectations and we we tend to forget we tend to forget that at some point in life we're going to walk through the same thing that everybody else is walking through there's going to be seasons where we die there's going to be seasons where we're buried in the mess but with that there's going to be seasons of resurrection and I don't know about you but that's incredibly freeing to me to understand that, yes, there's going to be times in my life where I've messed up, I've caused it myself, situations in my life have made me feel like death or feel buried under them circumstances, but I don't have to live there. Sometimes, I, sometimes we do that to ourselves just because of our desire to 
live a certain way or live up to certain expectations and we cause our own death. We cause our own circumstances that make us feel like we're at the end of our rope. Sometimes other things cause that. But man, the incredible freeing thing of the good news of the gospel is that, man, there's resurrection. There's, as Paul said there in 2 Corinthians, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. I'm learning that in this season when I normally can't see the resurrection to remind myself that behind every death and burial there's in Jesus there's a resurrection there's a season of living and I think when I think when we approach life with the good news we can even see seasons of death and burial with joy and hope because resurrection's coming I don't, I, don't, I don't think our world needs a fancy or a better version or a different version of Christianity. I think they just need to see the people of Jesus learning to live out and mirror the life of Jesus, which was the life of death, burial, and resurrection. Paul, the superhero of the faith that changed the world, is just like us. He had moments when he reached the end of his end of his rope and I, I imagine in this season of life he probably leaned very strongly on Priscilla and Aquila there's going to be seasons of life where we're going to need to lean on one another to get through these seasons of death and burial to experience resurrection there's, season, there's seasons in life where we're going to have to be that reminder for other people that even though you're going through a season of death and burial, there's going to be a resurrection. We don't have to perform or gain the approval. Jesus did all of that for us. And we can just live free. No matter what season of life we're in, we can live in the hope that Jesus gives us through his own death, burial, and resurrection. I don't know about you, but that's, to me, I'm learning that that is incredibly freeing, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have it all figured out. But it's bringing me joy. Last year or so, honestly, to me, it's felt like somewhere in the process of dying and being buried. And I'm just, I'm just right now in the process, honestly, of learning to look beyond because it's coming. Maybe I don't experience this side. Experience it this side again. I think I will. I think there will be that season of resurrection again. And then there will just, it, life is again 
just a bunch of bunch of J curves in our life where we walk through cycles of death, burial, and resurrection. Sometimes that might happen several times in a day. But the good news is, is no matter what season, no season of death and burial, we don't have to live there. Because the good news is, is Jesus has freed us to live life. We can be bold. We don't have to be quiet when it comes to the gospel. And though the gospel is offensive, we can still be compassionate and hospitable, maybe even to the hardest people. And as God told Paul, there's people in this city that belong to me. There's people in our lives that we may not even believe it about them right now, but God's telling us those people belong to me. And the thing about it is, is oftentimes in our life, Paul, God has identified those people before we even know they exist. And we're likely going through that season of death, burial, and resurrection in preparation for what God's going to do in their life. When I have Andrew come, I want to pray, and then we'll close in a time of worship this morning. Father, you are good to us. Sometimes in our life, it's easy to lose sight. It's easy to be to live in fear, to be tired, to be weak. Whether it be circumstances of our own doing or just the things going on around us that lead us into these seasons of uh, death and burial. God, that we can be reminded this morning that we are people that can live free. We don't have to be tied down to this and it's all because of the good news of your son's own death, burial, and resurrection that we can live lives of hope, lives of joy, and lives of peace. And God, we can be, we don't have to be special people. We can be the people that you've created us and called us to be in just the regular everyday stuff of life as we're going through our own cycles of death, burial, and resurrection. We can rest in the good news. We can know that there's people that you're bringing into our lives that you're already saying, God, those people belong to me. I think sometimes we try to find the next thing, the next person that we can change for the sake of the gospel when you're just calling us to be faithful. Faithful in the seasons of death, faithful in the seasons of burial, faithful in the seasons of resurrection. Just learning to mirror your life before people and trusting that you will bear, you will bear the fruit through our faithfulness that you will bring people
to you. The people will place their faith in Jesus. God, may that set us free as we go throughout our everyday lives, as we go into this new year, that God, we can just be faithful, faithful to your word, faithful to the good news. And you will bear the fruit of that through our lives. It's in Jesus' name.